verses 21 through 39. You'll join me there. I spent some time last week looking at different daily routines and schedules of famous and successful people. One of the individuals who I came across was this guy. Anybody know who this guy is? It's Tom Brady. Perhaps one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play in the NFL. He's been playing for 22 seasons. He's won seven Super Bowls. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to live a day in the life of somebody like that? Well, when I looked at his schedule, I, I was pretty surprised actually to see all the different things that he did. He has a strict routine that he sticks to every single day. He wakes up at 5.30 in the morning and goes to the gym. Then at 8 o'clock, he works out for a pretty long time because it's not till 8 o'clock that he has breakfast with his wife and kids. This is in the off-season, by the way. This isn't when the season is going on. This is in the off-season. At 10 o'clock, he goes to the beach. At 11 o'clock, get this, he has a scheduled nap. I wish I could work that into my daily routine to have a scheduled nap. And actually, the 10 o'clock schedule and the 11 o'clock schedule, in my opinion, would probably go pretty well together. Beach time and a scheduled nap, those two lie alongside of each other pretty well. At 12 p.m., he has lunch. At 1 p.m., he goes to the beach again. This time, he doesn't just lay on the beach. He surfs. He goes to the gym again at 2.30. At 4 o'clock, it's time for massages and rehab. At 6 o'clock, he has dinner with his family. From 7 to 7.30, he actually sits down at the desk and does some work. He reviews film, talks strategy with the coach, does some charity work. At 7.30, he has family time, puts the kids to bed, tells them bedtime stories, tucks them in. And then at 8.30, it's time for him to go to sleep, wakes up at 5.30 the next morning and does it all over again. We all have routines, don't we? We all have schedules where we do the same things every single day at the same times. While some of our routines might have some similarities with one another, there are also going to be some pretty major differences. We have different things to do, different responsibilities to fulfill, different, different places to go, different things that we involve ourselves in. You can see what it looks like to live a day in the life of Tom Brady. I know what a day in my life looks like. You know what a day in your life looks like. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to spend a day in the life of Jesus? So often we look at specific things that Jesus says, or we look at specific things that Jesus does. And that's a good thing. That's exactly what we did this morning as we studied together in Matthew, the 18th chapter, where Jesus talks to us about forgiveness and the parable of the unmerciful servant. But have you ever wondered what it would look like to take all of those words, all of those sayings, all of those actions, and to put them together in a 24-hour period? It seems like that's what Mark does. In Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39, Mark walks us through a day in the life of Jesus. He allows us to walk side by side with Jesus throughout a 24-hour period in His life. And so this evening, I really want us to focus on two questions. Question number one, what does a day in the life of Jesus look like? What would it look like if you shadowed Jesus for just a 24-hour period? What would He do? What does he involve himself in on a daily basis? But then number two, and really the important question I want us to ask, is what can we learn from spending a day in the life of Jesus? How can our lives become like his life? How can we follow ultimately the perfect example that he has given to us? 
a day in the life of Jesus. When we go to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39, we find that a day in the life of Jesus consisted of teaching. Remember what we talked about last week? Well, I'd say you do remember it. We read it just a few minutes ago from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, where Jesus calls four disciples to follow him. Four fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He extends to them the invitation, follow me. And they accept that invitation. They leave everything and they follow after Jesus. Well, immediately after they did that, in verse 21, Jesus and His disciples enter into the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was a very significant city during Jesus' earthly ministry. It was like His home base. It was His base of operations. It was the city that He would continually go back to throughout His Galilean ministry. In His adult life, it became His home. We'll see in just a few minutes that it was also the hometown of Peter and Andrew, two of those brothers who have decided to follow Jesus in the text that we talked about last week. But as Jesus and now His four new disciples enter into the city of Capernaum, Mark tells us that it was the Sabbath day. What did Jews do on the Sabbath day? In the first century, they went to the synagogue. They gathered together in one assembly in the synagogue and they spent time in Bible reading. They spent time in worship. They spent time in prayer with one another. If you were a visiting preacher, if you were a well-known visiting teacher, the synagogue that you were visiting would give you an opportunity to speak. They would give you an opportunity to stand up and to address the crowd. Jesus is a visiting teacher. And He's not going to pass up on an opportunity to teach God's Word. He's not going to pass up an opportunity to preach God's will. When He entered into the Sabbath, when He entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath, He began teaching. If you skip down just a little bit in this, and we'll get to this verse in just a few minutes, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 39, Jesus tells His disciples, let's go on to the next towns. Why? That I might preach there also, for that's why I came out. Jesus' public ministry was focused on His teaching and preaching. One of the main reasons that Jesus came to earth in the form of a man was to preach the Word of God and to reveal His will. And so He takes the opportunity to do that in the synagogue in Capernaum on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine what it would be like to sit at the feet of Jesus? Can you imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus' teaching, to be in this synagogue while Jesus is elaborating on the Word of God? The Bible tells us how these people felt about it. In verse 22, they were astonished at His teaching. They were amazed. But it wasn't because He was a very polished or dynamic speaker. It wasn't how He presented the message, but it was more so the content of His message. They were astonished at Jesus' teaching because He taught them as one who had authority. Jesus didn't teach like the teachers that they had. He didn't teach like the scribes or the teachers of the law. They would always have to appeal to something else. They would always appeal to another authority. When they were talking about the Word of God, they would talk about what this rabbi had to say before them or what this, rabbi, what this other rabbi had to say before them. Jesus didn't do that. As He preaches and teaches the Word of God, He does not appeal to a human authority. He doesn't appeal to the authority of another teacher. Instead, he presents His own authority. 
as the very Son of God? What would it look like to live a life in the to live a day in the life of Jesus? Well, the first idea that we see is teaching. Teaching and preaching the Word of God was important to Jesus. But that's not the only idea. As we continue in this text in verses 23 through 28, Mark finds it important to point out to us how Jesus served other people. Maybe sometimes we think, and I think with gospel meetings, maybe we think this way sometimes. Maybe sometimes we're tempted to think that if we can just get people here and preach the Word of God to them, then they're going to have no reason not to accept it. Jesus didn't think that way. Jesus didn't just say, let me preach and teach to the people, but I'm not going to be involved in their life. I'm not going to do anything for them. He didn't just teach them the Word of God. He got on His hands and knees and served them. And in Mark chapter 1, He serves these people in a couple of different ways. First, He serves them by casting out demons. As Jesus, began picking up in verse 23, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, His sermon was interrupted by a man who cried out. But it wasn't really the man crying out because the Bible tells us in verse 23 that this man had an unclean spirit. The unclean spirit, the demon who's possessing him, cries out through him, interrupts Jesus' sermon, and from the words of the demon, we can learn some important ideas. It seems that this demon is not just speaking by himself, but he's speaking on behalf of the entire demonic realm, that number one, demons knew who Jesus was. They call him out by name, Jesus of Nazareth. They specifically say, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. They knew that Jesus was more powerful than them. The demon asked Jesus the question, have you come to destroy us? Why would he ask that? Well, he would only ask that if Jesus had the power to destroy him. If Jesus was more powerful than the demon was. And so as this demon cries out and speaks out to Jesus in the midst of this synagogue meeting in verse 24, notice Jesus rebuked the demon with a very short phrase, be silent, verse 25, and come out of him. Well, the demon wasn't silent because the Bible says in verse 26 that the unclean spirit convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice. But as Jesus told the demon to come out, what did it do? It came out. Think about how Jesus is serving this man. There's no telling how long this demon has been a plague in this man's life. There's no telling how many years this man's life and actions and words have been controlled by the demon who was possessing him. Jesus serves him and takes care of it with just one sentence. Be silent and come out of him. But it's not that Jesus just served one person in that way. If we keep reading, and eventually we'll come to this point in verse number 32, where the day's about to end. It's evening. The sun is going down, and everyone heard about this miracle that Jesus performed. So what did they do? They brought to Him all who were oppressed by demons. Verse 33 says that the whole city gathered at the door. And in verse 34, what did Jesus do? He cast out many demons. Jesus served people first by casting out demons, but then number two, healing the sick. After Jesus casted out the demon from this individual in the synagogue, Mark doesn't tell us exactly how that concludes, but he tells us what Jesus does next in verse 29. He left the synagogue, he went to the house of Peter and Andrew, where Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. 
When Jesus gets there, they tell him about it, about how, and perhaps not even asking Jesus to do anything about it, but just telling Jesus, yeah, Peter's mother-in-law, he's over, she's over in this room, she's deathly sick with a fever. Can Jesus do anything about it? Absolutely, Jesus can do something about it. The Bible says in verse number 31 that Jesus came into her room, He took her by the hand, He lifted her up, and the fever immediately left her. Isn't that amazing? All that Jesus had to do was walk to the bed where she was laying sick with this fever, grabbed her by the hand, lifted her up, and she was immediately healed. She was completely healed. How do we know that she was completely healed? Well, the Bible says in verse number 31 that when she was healed, she got up and began to serve them immediately. Whenever you have a fever, even when the fever passes, how do you usually feel? You feel weak? You feel fatigued? You feel drained? You certainly don't feel like immediately getting up and going to work. She was healed completely. And we see that in the fact that she was willing to serve Jesus. Take this as a sticky note and and put it to the side for just a minute. This is actually a beautiful response to Jesus' healing. Jesus served Peter's mother-in-law, so what does she do? She gets up and serves Jesus. Shouldn't that define our lives? Jesus has served us, so how do we live our lives on a daily basis? We get up and we serve Him. It's a mutual relationship of service. It's not a relationship that just goes in one direction, but it's a relationship where Jesus has served me, and because I'm so grateful for that, I'm going to live my life in service to Him. But once again, Jesus doesn't just do this for one person. When people hear about the miracles that Jesus was able to perform, the Bible says in 32 that at the evening, at sundown, they brought to Him all who were sick in the city. Imagine all the people who were sick in the city of Capernaum, now they're standing at the doorway of Peter's house. What does Jesus do? Well, I'm tired. It's time to go to bed. It's time to eat some dinner. I just don't have time for this. No, in verse 34, He healed many who were sick with various diseases. What does it look like to walk alongside of Jesus during a day in His life? He's going to be teaching people the Word of God. He's serving people in powerful ways. But then notice this third idea that's very significant in verse 35. A day in the life of Jesus consisted of prayer. Would you say that since we've been studying this text, Jesus has been pretty busy? Would you say this is a pretty busy day? He went into Capernaum, immediately went into the synagogue, immediately began teaching, healed a man who was possessed by a demon, immediately goes to Simon and Andrew's house, heals Simon's mother-in-law, and then before he knows it, people have heard about what he's capable of, and there's this large multitude at the door, and Jesus heals every single one of them. He cast out the demons who were plaguing their lives. Would you say that's a pretty busy day? Jesus, maybe you should take a day off. Or at least, hey, here's an idea. Sleep in just a little bit. Because you're about to go into another very busy day. So sleep in just a little bit. Get your rest. And then you can go out and teach some more and serve some more people. Is that what Jesus does? Verse 35 says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Do you think Jesus was tired? I would say He was tired. He had just been 
partaking in such a busy day, but regardless of how tired he was, he gets up early in the morning. It's still pitch black dark outside. And he goes to a secluded place, an isolated place, where he's able to be completely by himself. And what does he do? The last three words of verse 35, there he prayed. Jesus made time for His relationship with the Father. Regardless of how busy He was, He made time for prayer. Do you know why Jesus went early in the morning? Because He wouldn't have had time to do it at any other time in the day. As soon as Jesus woke up and everybody knew that He was active, they would be at His door. They would be demanding His teaching. They would want His healing. They would want His casting out power. They would want to hear what He had to say. Every single minute of Jesus' life was dedicated to something or dedicated to someone. So He made time for prayer. He got up in the early morning before everybody else went to an isolated place and invested in His relationship with the Father. A day in the life of Jesus consisted of prayer. And then we find number four, a day in Jesus' life consisted of Him traveling. In verses 36-39, through 39, when the city of Capernaum finally wakes up, Jesus has been spending no telling how many hours in prayer at this point. When the city of Capernaum finally wakes up, in verse 36, they realize that Jesus isn't there. And so Simon, Peter, and the rest of His disciples go out and look for Him. They eventually find Him and make this statement to Him in 37, everyone is looking for you. How would you respond if someone said that about you? You've been missing for a little while and people have started to notice it. So whenever people finally track you down, hey, you have to come back to this city because everybody in the city is looking for you. Could you see how that could swell the head? Could you see how that could boost your pride? Well, everybody's looking for me. I better go back and, and do what they want me to do. That's not what Jesus does. In verse 36, Jesus replied to them saying, let's go on to the next towns. We need to move on from here. But not because these people have done anything wrong. He says, we need to move on from here that I might preach in other towns also, for that's why I came out. Jesus said, we need to move on. We need to go to another town so that I can influence more people. So that I can teach more people about God and what God requires for them that's why I'm here, Jesus says. Not just to stay in one place and to influence just a few people. He says, we have to go to other cities so that I can influence them too. And so that's what He does in 39. He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. A day in the life of Jesus. It's busy, isn't it? Jesus in that 24-hour period has a lot going on. He spends His time teaching and serving and praying and traveling. But before we conclude, I want us to spend some time on this question. What can we learn from a day in the life of Jesus? And just very briefly, we've just scratched the surface of this day, but what can we learn from walking side by side with Jesus through a 24-hour period in His life? Reality says that your day is not going to look exactly like Jesus' day. We have jobs that we go to. We have school that we have to attend. We have responsibilities to fulfill. We have families to take care of. You're not going to be like Jesus traveling from city to city preaching and teaching and praying so that you can influence people all over the state of Kentucky. It's just not what we do. Your day is not going to look exactly like Jesus' day. 
But the question is, what can we learn from His day? What are some principles that we can take from this 24-hour period in Jesus' life and apply to our daily lives? Let me suggest just a few ideas before we close. Number one, Jesus can relate to our busyness. We mentioned this just a moment ago, but when you look at this day in Jesus' life, was He busy? And by the way, I don't think that this is like an outlier in Jesus' life, a day that's busier than every other day. I think that Mark is giving us a glimpse into this is what every day of Jesus' life looked like. Was Jesus busy? Going into Capernaum, going into the synagogue, teaching the people in the synagogue, casting out a demon, going to Peter and Andrew's house, healing Peter's mother-in-law, having a multitude of people at the door and healing them and casting out their demons, and then the next day waking up earlier than everybody else so that he can spend some time in prayer and then telling his apostles, look, we need to travel so that I can preach to other places too. I'm not done yet. This is just the beginning. Was Jesus busy? He was. Sometimes when you ask people how they're doing, a response that you're going to get is, well, I'm, I'm just staying busy. How's your week going? Well, I'm just staying busy. Got a lot to do. And that's true, isn't it? Everybody's busy. Everybody has a lot to do. Everybody has a lot to accomplish. And sometimes the temptation might be to say, nobody understands how busy I am. Nobody understands all the things that I have to do and all the things that I have to accomplish on a daily basis. There's not a person who knows just what my day looks like and all the things that I have to do before I lay my head on the pillow at night. That might be true. But can I tell you that Jesus understands? Can I tell you that Jesus can relate to the busyness of your daily life? Jesus knows what it's like to be exhausted at the end of the day. Where all you do is is you lie down on the bed, maybe still in your work clothes, and you go to sleep because it's been such a long day. Jesus knows what it's like for every moment of His day to be filled up by something. When When you think that nobody else can relate to how busy you are, take a second to be comforted by the fact that Jesus can. Jesus can relate to our business. In fact, that's one of the reasons that He came to earth and lived as a man. As He sits exalted at God's right hand, He knows what it's like to be a human. And He can, as a result, give us the help that we so desperately need. But this isn't just about, hey, live a busy life and Jesus knows and Jesus can relate to that. No, when we walk a day in Jesus' shoes, we learn to prioritize people. Jesus preached to people. Jesus served people. He casted out demons from people. He healed people. He traveled so that He could influence more people. What are our lives oftentimes controlled by? Oftentimes our lives are controlled by a schedule what we write down in our planner, the deadlines that we have, the responsibilities that we have to fulfill on that particular day, and we stay set to that schedule. And maybe sometimes we stay so close to the schedule that we don't even see the people around us. We don't see the people at work. We don't see the people at school. We don't see the people when we walk into Walmart and we have a list of things that we have to get. We don't think about the people who are around us. When we spend a day in Jesus' life, we learn to prioritize people. People are more important than a schedule. People 
are more important than deadlines. Am I saying that your schedule and deadlines aren't important? I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that people are more important. And if we're going to be like Jesus, if our day is going to be like His day, then we have to learn to prioritize those who have been created in the image of God. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, people should be more important to us than checking things off our to-do list. Jesus' schedule was determined by the people that He ministered to. And maybe we can learn a lesson from that. But again, you can prioritize people all you want to, and you can make a lot of friends, and people can think well of you, and you can still be spiritually dead. We can't just prioritize people, but the reason we prioritize people is because we prioritize God. Jesus prioritized God. Here's a busy day in Jesus' life, but He still makes time for prayer. He still makes time to invest in His relationship with the Father. Waking up early in the morning while it's still dark outside to spend time with God. To invest time in His relationship with God. Well look, I'm just so busy, I don't have time to pray during the day. I'm so busy, I don't have time to sit down with my Bible and to read a chapter or two or three. I'm so busy on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, I I just don't have time to go to church and to spend time in Bible study and to spend time with my Christian family. What if we took a lesson from Jesus and we learned what it was like to prioritize God? Maybe it's waking up 15 minutes earlier. Setting your alarm 20 or 30 minutes earlier and spending that time investing in your relationship with God. Maybe you're a night owl and you'd like to spend 20 or 30 minutes before you go to bed investing in your relationship with God, then do that. If you need to eliminate something, then eliminate it. If you need to switch your schedule around, then switch your schedule around. If a Christian is too busy for God, we've given in to the idol of busyness and set God on the back burner. We have to spend time with Him. We have to spend time going to that secluded place where it's just me and God and I have the opportunity to grow in my relationship with Him. We prioritize people and we prioritize God. The two go hand in hand. When God is your number one priority in life, you're going to prioritize people. And you're not going to fall victim to the idol of schedule or routine or busyness. And then number four, maybe just to wrap up everything that we've seen during this day in Jesus' life, busyness is not an adequate excuse to slack spiritually. Sometimes we use it as an excuse. I can't read, I can't study, I can't pray, I can't worship, I can't meditate, I can't serve, I can't teach. I can't influence different kinds of people because I'm so busy and I have a lot going on in my life. Busyness is not an adequate excuse to allow your spirituality to fall behind. Do you know why it's not an adequate excuse? Those four things that Jesus did in His day can be done anywhere. When you're at work, you can bring up God and teach people about God's will just in conversation. Whenever you're at school and you see somebody in need, 
you can reach out and serve them and do all that you can to meet that need. Whenever you're living your daily life, instead of staying in just this one place and interacting with the same people, what would it look like to walk across the hall? What would it look like to walk down the road and to, to try to influence other people with the Gospel? Busyness is not an adequate excuse to slack spiritually because even in our busyness, these things in Mark chapter 1 can be done. We can still teach. We can still influence. We can still pray. And we can still serve even when our lives get busy. It just comes down to how are we using our time. There's a man named Charles Francis Adams. He was the, the son of President John Quincy Adams and the grandson of President John Adams who kept a diary of his daily life. And on one particular page, he wrote down the words, I spent a day fishing with my son today, dash, a day wasted. His son, Peter Brooks Adams, also kept a journal of his daily life like his dad. And he wrote down on that same day, spent a day fishing with my dad, dash, the best day of my life. What's the difference between the two? Charles Adams viewed time with his son as a waste, while Peter Adams viewed time with his father as an investment. Every day, we have 24 hours, 1,400 minutes, 86,400 seconds. God gives us that time every single day. Are we wasting that time with busyness? Are we wasting that time being sidetracked? Are we wasting that time not prioritizing the things that we need to prioritize? Or are we using that time that you see up on the screen as an investment in the lives of people, as an investment in our relationships with God, making a difference in this world for Jesus, becoming more like Jesus? Are we wasting the time that God has given to us? Or are we investing it to prioritize people and to prioritize our Father? A day in the life of Jesus. Aren't you thankful that Jesus lived these busy days? Jesus lived these busy days so that we can live every day of our life with hope, with expectation, and with faith and trust in His power. Jesus lived every day of His life so that we can follow in His footsteps. So that we can follow the pattern that He has left for us. Are you following that pattern? Are you walking in those footsteps? Allow this week, a day in the life of Jesus, to make a difference in your life. Prioritize God. Prioritize people. If we can help you tonight to do that, then let us, as together we stand and sing the song of invitation.